Today, I just want to pay, pay tribute to our Heavenly Father, because you know one of his titles is Abba, Abba Daddy, right? So he's our daddy, and so today, what better uh, reason than to love on him than to honor him on this Father's Day? And not to say that we're not going to honor our earthly fathers, but our Heavenly Fathers deserve our praise. So today, I actually have a Father's Day message. But it didn't start out to be a Father's Day message. It actually started out to be a message on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, how that came about is I have a really dear friend who is pretty much an expert on Sermon on the Mount. And he's actually memorized it. And wherever he goes, he speaks on the Sermon on the Mount. And it's very inspirational. And so during COVID, um, do we have the slides? So um, during COVID, I decided... Uh, second technical difficulties <laughs> okay so during covid um i came across this meme and it says don't let any problem get away without interrogation ask why it came and what purpose it serves and don't let it go until it blesses you so during covid i thought wow that's great advice so what why is it here and what's its purpose and so i thought one thing is we got a lot of time to study, right? A lot of time to dive deeper into God. I know a lot of people I talked to said, I'm going to take this time to draw closer to the Lord. So I was one of those people, and I said, okay, Lord, what is it that you want to show me, and what should I take time to study? I don't think anybody realized how long it was going to last. But anyways, I, I started to deep dive into the Sermon on the Mount, and, uh, you know, basically it's been called the Christian Manifesto, uh, one of the greatest sermons ever preached. It's probably the first or second greatest sermon. Uh, people would argue maybe the sermon on the road to Damas Emmaus, um, when Jesus encountered the two disciples after um, his crucifixion and his resurrection. I don't know if you remember the story, but he basically took them and taught them through the entire scripture of the types of and symbols of Jesus in each book of the Bible. And uh, so here you have Christ preaching Christ. So how much better can you get than that? And uh, so those two sermons uh, always have marked my life. And so I just wanted to really take seriously the Sermon on the Mount. And I started thinking about all the times God set up laws for us and commands. And, you know, it started out in the garden, right? He says, you know, there's, two tr there's trees here, but... Um, don't eat of this tree, the tree of knowledge. Don't eat of it. Eat from the tree of life. So that was a rule, right? And then we got the first five books of the Bible, the books of the law, and they detail out 613 Hebrew laws. And it's like, how in the world can you keep 613 laws? And, you know, as the commentators would say, you know, you might be keeping 600 of them, but there's at least 13 that you'll be breaking. So it was impossible. So then we have Moses, he hands down the Ten Commandments, right? And so ten, that's pretty easy. Maybe you can remember ten. And then you fast forward to the New Testament, and here you have Jesus talking about the Sermon on the Mount. And not only did he talk about the law, he went a step further. You know, he said, you know, do not murder, but if you, if you have malice in your heart towards anybody, that's the same as murder. So he kind of set the bar even higher. 
But I was always fascinated by the Sermon on the Mount, and I, I said, you know, I really got to study this so that I can really begin to teach this wherever I go. But I couldn't understand why the Sermon on the Mount wasn't more prominent. Why isn't it taught more? Why don't we hear more sermons on the Sermon on the Mount? And then as I was reading my scriptures, I came across this one, and it's in Mark chapter 12, and we all know this very well, and this is a paraphrase of Deuteronomy 6, but it says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. So Jesus is having a debate with the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, and so they said that they saw them debating, and noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked of him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus answered, the most important one is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So this answered my question on Sermon on the Mount, right? So instead of memorizing all these chapters in the book of uh, Matthew on Sermon on the Mount, you could just go right to these two commands, love God, love your neighbor. And it can't get much simpler than that, right? So basically God's saying, love me, love everybody else. But we need to put the first command back in the first place because if we don't love God it's impossible to love your neighbor amen it's it's really hard to love your neighbor in fact one of the marks of our our love is our obedience and first John says that if we say we love God but hate our brother we're a liar I mean that's pretty straightforward language isn't it he says you're lying because if you see your brother who you can touch feel communicate with and you claim that you love me but you hate him then then you're a liar and um, it's very strong but so we have to put the first commandment back in the first place because if you can't uh, love God then you're probably not loving your neighbor very well because it's the love of God that gives us the strength to do that um, number one has a qualifier doesn't it the first command he says to love God how with all your heart mind soul and strength so we have to love him with every fiber of our being, everything that we have in us. And then number one um, is the enabler for us to do number two, because if you don't do number one, how can you love your, your neighbor? Because loving God, an outcome of it is actually loving your neighbor. So it's kind of a byproduct, right? But number two has a qualifier as well. It says, love your neighbor how? Love your neighbor as yourself. So now that puts a qualifier that you have to love yourself in order to love your neighbor. So basically, it all boils down to love God, love self, love neighbor. Now, recently, in this last 20, 30 years, I would say that qualifier of loving yourself has come full force in our society, hasn't it? Because... Um, I don't think I ever used the word narcissistic for the first 40 years of my life. And the last 20, I've been using the word narcissistic almost daily to describe people. And that's an outcome of Timothy, right? Remember in Timothy, he said, in the last days, people will be lovers of self. And I think we're seeing that as a sign of the last days because uh, people love themselves quite a bit. <laughs> so, but 
but loving yourself is a healthy thing if it's done with, with moderation, if it's done within the parameters, and it's not to a point where you're prideful or you think you're better than anyone else. It should be equal, your love for yourself equal to the love that you have for everyone else. So I think this is the answer to all our problems today, especially our societal problems, if we could learn to love God, learn to love ourselves, and learn to love our neighbors. And so this question was fully meant to be a setup, right? So they came to him, and they're thinking of ways that they could trip him up. And the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees were always debating among themselves, and they couldn't agree on anything, but they did agree on one thing. Let's take this guy out. He's causing too many waves, and he's making too much sense, right? And, and so when he answered the question, um, they, they were just undone. And I love the end of the passage, because if you read a little further, it says, Jesus answered them wisely. No one dared to ask him any more questions. Um, have you ever been in that place where you thought, I think I just better shut up right now. I don't think I'm winning, and the more I talk, the more foolish I look. And um, so Jesus had the ability to do that, didn't he? He just had an amazing ability to put people in their place. And even though it may sound rude, it was actually for their own benefit. Because sometimes when someone tells you to stop, especially if it's your spouse, you probably need to stop, right? So as I pondered this whole greatest command thing, I'm thinking, how can you command someone to love you? You know, is that really love if I command you to love me? And so, you know, that started rattling around in my brain. And so I looked it up, and actually that word command in Hebrew is mitzvah. And mitzvah means to direct. Uh, it's a landmark that will guide you, or it's the greatest directive or the greatest guidance. So that, that helped make a little bit more sense for me. And so, you know, King Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, he had everything ever afforded to a human, and he had wisdom just beyond belief. You know, people would come from all over the world to sit under Solomon to hear him teach because the wisdom that would just pour out of him. And if you've never done it, I encourage you to read through Proverbs. Um, I read Proverbs as often as I can because it's the book of wisdom. And who doesn't want wisdom? I mean, if there's anything we need right now is we need wisdom. And that book is just loaded. It's just packed with wisdom. So Solomon, at the end of uh, Ecclesiastes, which he also wrote, he said, the end of the story, the conclusion of the matter is this. Fear God and keep his commands, right? So love God and keep his commands. And so keeping the commands is obedience. And that's our measure of how much do we love God by how much are we obeying him. And uh, so I just thought Solomon who is the wisest man, if he's given out advice, it would be wise for us to heed that advice, wouldn't it? So uh, Moses, here's another one. Moses went about and he spent time in the tent of meeting, him and Joshua, because he wanted to be in God's presence as much as he possibly could. And so he asked the Lord, he said, teach me your ways. I want to know everything about you, Lord. Would you show me? Would you teach me? I just want to sit under your feet. And it said that he spent all day in the tent of meeting. Every day he would just meet with the Lord and spend time with the Lord. And I just love that. And it says that the Lord spoke face to face to Moses as a man speaks to a friend. 
And uh, how many of you have that relationship with God right now? How many are you comfortable saying, man, me and God, we got this thing going on. We speak face to face. We have this intimacy. And I don't know about you. I long for that. I want that. But there's things in life that squeeze that out. There's things in life that distract me. We're going to talk about that in a minute. King David, right, another one, a man after God's own heart. We have the Psalms. Isn't it amazing that these men wrote down their thoughts, their prayers, um, everything that was on their mind, and we get to benefit from that? So if you read the Psalms, it's David just pouring out his heart. And he complains a lot too, doesn't he? He like pours out his complaint. But at the end of his complaint, he builds himself back up. He's like, but you, O oh Lord, you know, he starts to remember God in the midst of his complaint, and then he starts to build himself back up. And the Psalms are amazing because they're so inspirational, but they're born out of a love affair between David and God. You know, Gabe, when he was worshiping, said that David danced before the Lord with all his might. He gave it his heart, mind, soul, and strength. What a great example he's given us. So the greatest command is simple, but it's not easy. You know, it's just so simple. Love God. It's all you got to do. Love God. But it's not easy, is it? I mean, so many things take us out. So how do we love God? What's the best way to do it? Well, this scripture says to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So I like this. I came across this. Um, it says the Hebrew word for seek means to go after, to chase down, to search for, to ask or consult. If you want to seek God, make him a priority and don't stop chasing after him. Even when you feel satisfied, don't stop. I'll tell you what, you know, I've counseled many of you in this church, and where counseling breaks down every single time, because during counseling, there's always an epiphany, right? This is why I am the way I am. This is why I do the things I do, right? And so you get that revelation, and this is what I need to fix it. But where it breaks down is when you take your foot off the gas, and I can see it every time. It's just like every day, it's a decision. Every day, it's, it's, a, you know, it's a journey to say, I'm going to keep my foot on the gas. Because I'll tell you what, the minute you take your foot off the gas, you're not coasting. You're, you're receding. You're going backwards, right? Because there's no such thing as, as coasting. You're either advancing or you're retreating. And if you think you're coasting, I got news for you. You're going backwards and don't even realize it, okay? So in the Bible, we have many examples of people who loved the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And usually the first one that comes to mind is Mary, right? When she took that alabaster vial and she broke it over his head, and the word says she wasted it all on the Son of God. There was no waste there, was it? She was very intentional. She was very deliberate. And what's interesting to me about that is he just told everybody, I'm about to die. This is over. This is the end of the road. And so she's got this alabaster vial that's worth a year's wages. I kind of think I would have held back, you know, <laughs> like, well, if you're going away, I think I'll keep this for a more opportune time. But she didn't do that, did she? 
he said, this is the zenith. This is the pivotal moment, and I'm not going to waste it on anything else. This is the most important thing. So she loved him with all her heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I believe what an example that we have of extravagant love. I remember one time I was in Kansas City, Missouri. There's a house of prayer there. Many of you know about IHOP, IHOP KC, um, under the direction of Mike Bickle. And uh, just an amazing ministry. And we were in this Bartle Hall. Um, you may recognize the name from the Barrett-Jackson auctions. <laughs> they hold them there. But um, anyways, in Bartle Hall is kind of like our Cobo Hall. And it was just filled with twenty to 25,000 young people. And it was New Year's Eve. And they just did an impassioned message on loving God. And at the end, they decided to take their offering. And when they did... All across the front of the stage, and I mean, this is a huge stage. They had these boxes, like you see, that they put out for returnable bottles. So these big cardboard boxes. And as they did the offering, these young people were coming forward. And I can't begin to tell you how moving it was because of the extravagance. I never saw an offering like this. And I just sat there in the risers, and I was watching, and I just couldn't stop weeping because... Every kid that came up to that offering box, you could tell they were stripping themselves bare of all the worldly things that they had. And I'm watching them pull their rings off and drop them in. I'm seeing kids take their backpacks off with their laptops in them and dropping the entire backpack in the offering. I saw kids taking necklaces off and hats and just everything, throwing cash in there. But the thing that I couldn't get over is all these kids that were taking off their shoes and putting their shoes in the offering. And I said to my daughter, what's up with the shoes? <laughs> Why are they throwing shoes in the offering? And my daughter said, Dad, those shoes are worth $500. <laughs> hey, my kids never asked me for a $500 pair of shoes. But I couldn't believe it. I said, they're $500. She said, yeah, they're worth a lot of money. And so that was you know, all they owned, and they were putting their shoes, and they had to go home in the cold winter snow, because this is New Year's Eve in, in Kansas City, and, and, but that's how much they loved God, that's how much their hearts were moved, that's how extravagant they were in their offering, and you know, it doesn't sound like much to us, but to them, that was everything they had, you know, and some of these kids had to make the call home the next day saying, uh, Dad, I lost my laptop. <laughs> what do you mean you lost your laptop? I think if my kid told me they put the laptop in the offering, I would, I would bless them, you know. I would totally bless them for that. I, would, I don't think I would be mad. I wish I could give like that, tell you the truth. It says that Jesus, when Jesus knew his death was imminent and he was returning to Jerusalem for the Passover, it said he set his face like flint. Man, what a description. I mean, he was rock solid about going to the cross, wasn't he? Because he wanted to prove that he loved us with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so I just love that description of his imminent death. And he was eager to do it. He was so steadfast to do it. And what, what an amazing statement of love that was. This also has a qualifier. It says, seek first the kingdom and its righteousness. And I love 
the term righteousness here because, you know, we all think of righteousness in a legalistic sense. You know, I, I have to be holy. I have to be perfect. I have to follow the rules. But in this particular context, righteousness means right relationship. So seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, his right relationship. How many of you are walking in righteousness? How many of you have a right relationship with God? How many of you can say that? How many can look God in the eye and say, we're in right relationship. We got this thing going on, right? That's the goal, isn't it? Is he your priority? What holds you back? What distracts you? I remember one time, and I believe I've told this story before, but um, probably 20 years ago, we, were, we live in a colonial, and I was always brought up in a ranch home, so this was the first colonial I ever lived in. And the second-story bathtub was draining really slow. And we'd had this house for about 10 years. It's our current home. But um, I was just so sick and tired of it. So a Saturday morning, I got up to take my shower, and I'm standing ankle-deep water because it just drained so slow, and it was just angry. And so I can say I was mad. And I said, this stops today. So after my shower, I drop down and I start working on this drain. And many of you know behind the bathtub, there's a trap door, and then you can access the plumbing. And I'm trying to get to the trap, and it's got this brass nut on the top. And if you know anything about plumbing, brass nuts are just like butter. You know, the minute you put a wrench on it, it just strips. And so first thing I do is I strip this nut. And so now I'm going after it with everything I got, and I'm angry because now this five-minute job is now a two-hour job, a four-hour job. Bottom line turns into an eight-hour job, and it ended in total failure. But, but the thing is, is I was a man on a mission. My heart, mind, soul, and strength was on one thing, and it was that drain trap. I was a man possessed. I could not stop for anything. And I remember it was about 4.30, I started at 7.30, and I was laying on the bathroom floor and I was panting like a dog. I mean, I was just out of breath and I was just sweating. My knuckles were all bloody because I was ripping floorboards out, <clears throat> excuse me, with my bare hands because I, I couldn't get any kind of tools in there. So I was trying to get more access to this trap. And uh, I'm laying on the floor and I'm just panting like a dog. I'm like, what is wrong with me? You know, I missed breakfast. I missed lunch. I'm about to miss dinner. And I haven't gotten anywhere. And uh, the Lord spoke to me right there. Do you ever get God speak to you in that moment? And he says, that's how I want you to pursue me from now on. And I was just like, oh, I got it. <laughs> I got it. Well, I find out later that if you live in a colonial, if you need to get access to the plumbing, you tear out the kitchen ceiling. <laughs> which I wasn't about to do, but plumber did that for me. But I never thought to access it through, you know, the kitchen downstairs. So anyways, it's fixed. We're good. But, but it was a lesson, right? It was a total lesson. I love the holiest obsession that the four living creatures have in the book of Revelation in Isaiah. It says that they're around the throne, and they just cry out, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord. And they just keep repeating this phrase, who was, who is, and is to come. And they just keep saying it over and over and over. 
Have you ever done that? If you're ever stuck in prayer, just try that. Just start pacing. Holy, holy, holy Lord. And it gets louder, you know, holy, holy, holy Lord. And it gets more excited because all of a sudden, as you pray, those reverberations go out of your mouth gate, come back in through your ear gate, and it's going into the spirit realm, isn't it? And all of a sudden, it just hits that frequency of heaven, and you start to connect with heaven. It's an amazing thing. So just want to encourage you, if you're ever stuck, I just read a book by Corey Russell. Some of you know Corey. Um, Corey wrote this book on prayer and how to pray, basically. And one of the things he says in there, and I love it, he says, pray yourself hot. Pray yourself hot. And that's what I try to do whenever I'm stuck. And change your posture. You know, most of us sit on the couch and we slink down in the couch and next thing you know, we're sleeping, right? But how I learned to pray is I got tired of waking up after every prayer meeting with God. You know, I'd sound asleep again. So I said, I can't sleep while I'm walking. So I started walking. I started pacing. And I'll tell you what, it really, really works. So start pacing. And if you start doing that, if you start engaging your whole heart, all of a sudden you pray yourself hot. And I just love that language. I've never heard that before. And so that's, that's my goal now is whenever I pray, I want to pray myself hot. So shifting gears a little bit. So what makes a good father, right? Because our Heavenly Father is a good father. And so this says it's about being consistently available for our kids through good times and bad, being personally engaged in our kids' lives, their interests, hopes, and dreams on a daily basis. Being curious and attentive requires us to put our distractions to one side, showing compassion, hope, and belief when our child needs it most. So when I became a father, I became a much better son. I really did, because you know what? All of a sudden now I have a father's heart, and I understand what a father feels towards a child, and I wanted to position myself to be a better son to my heavenly father, because all of a sudden I understood his heart and how much he loves each one of us. You know, it says we're all God's children. We're daughters and sons of the Most High God. And if that begins to register with you, it changes everything. So being present is the greatest gift a father can give his children. And it's the greatest gift children can give their parents. You know, we're so distracted, aren't we? You know, it's like our kids and our parents are our last priority. Our relationship with God is our last priority because we let the things of the day crowd these things out. But our presence is the greatest thing that we can give. I was at my daughter's house last week, and they have a little two-year-old boy, Santo, and he's in that cute phase, right, where everything they do is cute. And they're just bragging about Santo, and a parent will actually watch a child sleep because even when they sleep, they're cute, right? So they start showing me all these videos of Santo sleeping or Santo pretending to be asleep, and we're just laughing because... It's just remarkable how a parent just knows everything about their kid. You know, my dad, I couldn't get away with anything. My dad knew what I was going to do before I did it. And it was so frustrating because he couldn't get away with anything, you know. But um, we were created to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. 
God is omnipresent. So we know the seven attributes of God. I'm not going to review them, but, but one of them is he's omnipresent. And omnipresent, uh, the definition of that is to be present everywhere at the same time. So we get that, right? God can be everywhere at the same time. That's something that we as humans can't do, but he can do it. But I love the second part of this. It says, constantly encountered. Man, just dwell on that. Just meditate on that. God wants to be constantly encountered. That just just gets me every time I read that because wasn't the garden the place of encounter? You know, for Adam and Eve, it's where he met with them in the cool of the day. He wanted to fellowship with them. He wanted to encounter them each and every day. And so I love that. His omnipresence is the place of constantly encountering us. So what's, what's the distraction in your life? What has your heart? To me, presence is all about time and attention, okay? So it's one thing to give someone your time, but do they have your attention, you know? And I think we see it now more than ever, two people sitting together, and they're both on their phones, they're both scrolling, and... and uh, so they're, they're spending time together, right? But do they have each other's presence? There's a big difference there, isn't there? There's a huge difference there. The most disrespectful thing you can do is to be on your phone when there's someone else in the room. And I kind of think of it like when I'm in a store and I'm trying to pay money to buy something and the salesperson takes a phone call why they're waiting on me and puts me on hold while they wait on the person on the phone who's not going to buy anything, I just think that's really rude. I don't know if that's just me, but, but I'm just like, and that's what it feels like. It's like, I'm here. It's right now. We're face to face. Why don't we talk right now? Why don't we interact? You can scroll on your phone later when you're by yourself. So I'm just encouraging everybody in this room, you know, when you're with somebody, give them your time and your attention. We're just so preoccupied. Um, Apple Corporation, I don't usually plug them, but they've given us a great gift. And if you have your phone, they started a thing called Screen Time, and it's, it's a graph. So if you scroll, I have an iPhone 10, so I don't know if all of them have this, but um, it's called Screen Time. And you can actually put it in the search bar. But it will show you how much time you spend on your phone every single day. And it charts it. It graphs it. It makes it visual. It really drives it home to you. And it shows you where your priorities are. And I, I was scrolling through, and I'm thinking, I, I think I do pretty good at this. I come across, spend eight hours on the phone this one day. And then what it does, just to make it a little bit more hard-hitting, it shows you each app and how much time you spend on each app. So, you know, okay, I got four hours on Hulu and two hours on Prime and some on my mail, some on my messages. Oh, here's my Bible app, three minutes out of the eight hours. Oh, man, I'll tell you, this tells a story, doesn't it? Do yourself a favor and check out your screen time stats. I think you might be horrified. And my all-time favorite statistic is called pickups. What's pickups? Pickups is how many times a day you pick up your phone. Every time you do this, it's recording 
that you picked up your phone. 113 pickups. <laughs> I guess I didn't go to sleep that day because <laughs> how can you get 113 pickups in a single day? That is crazy. And in that same day, I obviously slept, I obviously ate, I obviously drove to work, I obviously did all these other things. How much time did I spend with God, right? He's my all in all. I love him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. But how much time and attention did God get? Just curious. What if we could strap a meter to each one of us and start recording how many hours in prayer, how many hours fasting, how many hours Bible reading? What would that look like? Because that's a true measure, isn't it? So what occupies your time and your thoughts is what has your heart. So we're suffering from this technology addiction. It's truly an addiction, digital addiction. And uh, all my trade journals that I read, you know, as a counselor, it's the biggest uh, counseling issue right now that we face is how to help people through technology addictions because they just can't stop. And no matter how many times you talk to someone or tell them how it hurts your feelings or you feel ignored, it just doesn't register, does it? Because they're addicted. And it does the same thing any chemical addiction does. It rewires the brain, and it's designed to do that. They have experts. Every time you get that little like, a little dopamine flows through your brain, like, ooh, I like that when someone likes something, right? Or someone gives me a positive comment. So don't let it rule your life any longer. So do our children have our presence? Just, just asking, do they have your presence so another definition of presence is a person's ability to make his or her character known to others. So we talked about Moses. He wanted God's presence. He wanted to know God's ways. Are you parenting with a phone in one hand and brushing your child away with the other hand? I can't tell you how many times I've seen that where a kid is coming up to the parents and they're just pushing them off because they got their phone in their hand. And it's really, really sad. And that just texting, not just looking at Facebook, but even talking. You know, dads, moms, when you get home from work, work should stop, you know. Don't keep working through the night. That's the end. When you get home, that's, that's it. Leave it there. The best advice I can give you. Tell you what, a lot of times when I'm talking to people and their kids come up to them and the kid starts begging for the parents' attention, they're like, mom, 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 mom mom, 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 or dad, 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 drives me crazy. And I, I will stop and say, your child wants your attention, you know, because the more you brush them off, what happens? The more intense they get, the louder they get, the, the, you know, the more rapid the frequency gets because they're starving for your attention. And so show them that they're important. And I'll tell you what, you won't offend me one bit if you say, excuse me, Ron, but this guy needs my attention, and I'm perfectly fine with that. But on the other hand, I have to say, we taught our kids, if we're talking to someone, don't interrupt unless you feel it's really important. So whenever my children approach me, if I was talking to someone else, and they said, excuse me, Dad, I dropped everything because they've been trained that it's pretty important if they want to interrupt, right? So... I just encourage parents, you know, give your kids your full attention. Give them your full 
presence. I know when I first became a father, you know, I was going around asking people that I really respected, you know, what's, what advice would you give me? And I'll never forget one guy told me, he says, you spend the first two years teaching them how to walk and talk, and the next 16 years to sit down and shut up. And I just thought, okay, that's your advice. But he was very sincere, and I think it's pretty true. But, but um, I wouldn't use that as advice to a parent. But my thing is always be present. Be present. Because I can't tell you how many kids I see just struggle and how many people end up on my counseling couch because their parents weren't present and they have a father wound or a mother wound because of the lack of presence of a parent in their life. Aren't you glad our Heavenly Father is always present? I'll tell you, amen, amen. I can't begin to tell you how many times I, I shy away from the prayer closet because I'm like, oh, man, I've been on the lamb for six days now. <laughs> you know, I haven't talked to God in so long. I don't want to show my face. But every time I do, he's gracious and he's merciful, isn't he? He's loving and he's always there. And it just makes you feel bad. Like, why did I, why did I not take advantage of each day to spend in his presence? So life is short and we don't have time for regrets. So I wanted to share this story about uh, a man of God, Al Coonley. Does anybody know Al Coonley? Ever hear that name? Okay. Okay. Um, so Al was the pastor emeritus at Grace Community Church on Maras in Detroit. So he was our pastor, Charlie, basically. And Al was a very wise man. And Al was a very active man. And Al was part of Youth for Christ. So many of you remember Youth for Christ. I don't know if it's still going on, but it was very impactful in working with teens all over, all over the United States. It was just a huge, huge ministry, and, and they changed so many lives. And so Al was very, very instrumental in Youth for Christ. So one year for Father's Day, Pastor Butcher asked Al, hey, would you like to preach the Father's Day message and again, I'm not saying this to embarrass Al. I think the world of the man and what I'm about to tell you shows me what a man of integrity he is. So Al said, uh, yeah, I'd love to. So Al called all his children and said, hey, I'm preaching Father's Day at church. Would you come to church and honor me by being in the audience because I'd like to call you out? Each one of his children said, absolutely not. I'm not coming. Nope. And he was just broken. He's just like, why wouldn't you come? So the night before, Saturday night, before he preached on Sunday morning, they dropped off four letters to him from four of his children. I think he had six children, but four wrote letters. And they said, this is the reason why we won't come. And each one laid out just offense after offense after offense. You weren't there for baseball. You weren't there for dance. You weren't there for skating. You weren't there for this. You weren't there for that. You were always gone. You missed my birthdays. You were too busy taking care of everybody else's kids that you were never there for your own children. And I got to tell you guys, this was the most horrific message I ever heard because this man was broken. He was still reeling from the sting of these letters and he read each one to his credit. I'll tell you, I don't think I could have ever done that. But he read every letter word for word. 
And he just sobbed and sobbed. And he was just so broken. So here he went up thinking, I'm pretty uh, proud of myself. I've done a really good job. And I've helped all these kids. But he was missing in action when it came to his own family. And I got to tell you, there wasn't a dry eye in the place. And it made an impact. It's like 20 years later and still rocks me because the regret You've never heard so much regret in one message that this man had. And I can only hope he went back and mended everything with those children. I don't know the rest of the story. El has deceased, but I do respect him for, for being that transparent. And it was a wake-up call for all of us fathers to make sure that you never get a letter like that, right? What if you were to ask your children for a letter today? What would that letter say? And I just want to end with this. Some of you know Bob Jones. Um, not the Bob Jones of Bob Jones University, but Bob Jones the prophet. And uh, Bob was uh, pretty well known in the prophetic realm. And he had a dream or a vision where he went up to heaven. And, uh, you know, the typical scenario, there was the big line, everybody going the wrong way. And then there was the narrow line, which he was standing in. And as he got up to the Lord, he could overhear the people in front of him being asked one question. And the Lord asked them this, did you learn how to love? And that was the only question that the Lord asked them. Did you learn to love? And so as his turn was approaching, he thought, I got this. You know, I, I got this. I, I, I learned how to love. And so everybody was getting the green light. You know, yeah, I learned, Lord, I learned how to love. So he got up to Al, uh, Bob, I'm sorry, and asked Bob, did you learn how to love? And Bob says, well, sure, Lord. Lord says, no. He says, go back. Go back. <laughs> you have to go back and learn to love and make that your life's message. And if any of you know of Bob Jones, the last couple years of his life, that was his message. Did you learn how to love? And so that's what I want to leave you with today. You know, did you learn how to love? Is God your all in all? Are you loving him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Because it's all about relationships, isn't it? So if you would stand with me, I'd just like to pray a blessing, and then we'll worship. So Heavenly Father, we come to you today, and we ask that you would reprioritize our lives. Lord, you said if our eye causes us to sin, to pluck it out. If our hand causes us to sin, to chop it off. Lord, if our phones cause us to sin, let us turn them off. Let us rid ourselves of any encumbrance, anything that holds us back. I just pray today that we would be set free from the bondages that, that hold us back. That we would purpose in our hearts to put the first command back in first place that we would love you with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. I pray for the fathers, that they would be attentive to their children. Lord, that they would spend time, and when they're in their presence, that they would give them their full attention. Lord, for children interacting with their parents, that they would not be disrespectful. Lord, that they would not blow them off. Lord, that they would not uh, consider their friends and and their phone more important 
but that they would cherish each and every moment that they have together. And Lord, most of all, that we would find pockets of time throughout the day to acknowledge you, to worship you, and to be with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.